available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions Sunday edition. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions talking all things Pac-12 football. And as David mentioned, we're doing it on a Sunday our schedules have been kind of weird lately, but we got some updates on spring games and spring practices. I know Dave is going to love that. I'm over the moon. I'm over the moon. I scoured the 24-7 Sports Network, getting all the little tidbits from across the uh, the area and the Pac-12 footprint, all the 12 schools. So we got some updates. I think uh, six or seven schools, so not bad. If you want to you know, have us talk about something else, so email us and say, hey, this is what's on my mind. Why don't you guys talk about this? Pac-12 podcast at gmail.com is the email address, or you could call or text us at 424-532-0678. We got three voicemails this week, Dave. That's a, that's a lot of voicemails for us. That is a ton of voicemails for us. We appreciate it. We love you out there. Uh, it's been a, uh, I mean, I, just my my analytical uh, knows, it, it's, it's been an uptick. I would say voicemails have become a more popular form of communicating with us, and I'd say the last month, month and a half. Maybe they're sick of hearing us. They want to hear them, you know, other people. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, it could be a lot of things, but I think that's a, that's certainly a big part of it. <laughs> I, I can't blame them. Us. <laughs> but thanks for the voicemails. We'll play all of them uh, today, a little bit later on the show. We have a Twitter account at Pac-12 Podcast, and you can go to our website, Pac-12Podcast.com. David says don't go there, but I say go if you want to go find some of the old episodes we put a bunch of stuff up there for you, and also our Reddit page. You can discuss with other POC fans, Podcast of Champions on uh, Reddit.com. It's Reddit.com slash R slash Podcast of Champions. But most importantly, go to your iPhone, find that Apple Podcasting app, follow us. It's not called subscribe anymore. Now it's called follow. Rate us five stars. We love that. And then put something snarky about us in there. As long as you give us five stars, just trash us in the comments if you want. But we need those five stars. Yeah, and let me tell you something. Let me tell you a really disappointing piece of information for me personally. Uh, I got nothing to read. There are no new reviews. None. Wow. Well, it's. I I would say it's very disappointing on a couple angles. First, um, I sang a song on this show two weeks ago, right? Holy cow, you did. Yes. We haven't gotten. uh, uh, We got a the promised review, but our serial killer has not left a review um, of that experience um i would just say i I think it's um it's really just piss poor um (laughs) it's it's impolite frankly um and i would like uh our our serial killer to leave a five-star review but also many of you and by many of you i mean our five listeners continue creating new itunes usernames and continue to flow the the (laughs) five-star reviews in there thank you yeah 
Do we know how often? Because you, I don't think you can do like two reviews in a day or something, but you can do, I think you have to wait a couple of weeks or a month or something and you can do another one. I'm not sure how that works. I think you can, um, but also like, for example, the uh, the the Cal Poly Pomona grad who um, gave us two five star reviews to get me to sing the song. He did listen McListener, and then he did McLister O two. He did two separate usernames. That's the kind of ambition that we're looking for from our listeners. I love okay? the creativity. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm I'm not mad, but I am disappointed and yeah. a little bit mad. You know who I'm not disappointed or mad in? This is our, our, our buddy Tom Hecker. So we mentioned him before. He's the director of sports marketing at Jockey. So if you remember, when all that weird stuff was coming out, the Pac-12 put out that press relief that Jockey was going to be uh, you know, a sponsor and, and provide the apparel. And we were like, why are people going to wear underwear on air on the Pac-12 network? Um, so they wrote it to us. And apparently, so I talked to Tom a little bit on the phone, uh, David. Apparently went up to the top. There were like high executives at Jockey that apparently had listened to our show and we're like, what is going on with these two clowns? And Tom reaches out to us and has been nothing but uh, amazing. And I just, I'm wearing right now a new pullover zip. It has a jockey logo on it and the Pac-12 logo on it. Um, they've been awesome. That's like, I don't think we've had any other, you know, Pac-12 sponsor, like reach out and be this cool to us. So shout out to Tom. He was great. And uh, it's been, it's been fun. I, you like your gear so far? Oh, it's so good. Very comfortable stuff. Uh, strongly recommend Jockey. If you've got any t-shirt needs, uh, athletic wear needs, underwear needs, jacket needs, uh, all of it's been great. All of it. 100%. Yeah. Five stars. I give them five stars. If they had a podcast, if Jockey recorded a podcast, I would go onto their <laughs> iTunes, create several different usernames, and leave them multiple five-star reviews. We would. Um, so great stuff. So I talked to them for a little while. Let's do it real quick. They, you know, it's funny because they've done some pretty high profile. They've sponsored some pretty high profile athletes like way back in 1935 from Tommy Armour. But guys like Sammy Baugh and Babe Ruth uh, in 1946, um, you know, Yogi Berra, like people you've heard of in the 70s. They went with Pete Rose, Jim Palmer, Jojo White and Steve Carlton. So they like kind of went some baseball heavy there. But they've done, you know, more recently, guys like Tim Tebow. Uh, Jordy Nelson uh, from the Packers, Bubba Watson. So they've, I guess they've kind of selected and cho chosen um, some guys, but they are definitely going to try to work harder with the Pac-12, um, you know, working with the Pac-12 on-air network. I thought this would be something you would like. They really want to put a shirt on Bill Walton. So uh, they're going to be, so Bill, you know, that'll be cool. Maybe it'll be a tie-dye version. I'm not sure, but like, you know, working with the, the Pac-12 network personalities, they seem to really want to embrace it. So I think it's going to be kind of fun uh, what they're going to do, you know, going forward, but look for them this fall. I think they're going to try to get out to the football game. So you can go say hi to those guys. If you're going to go to one of the football games and be on the sidelines, um, you know, in Vegas for the championship games and stuff. So uh, a lot more activewear stuff, you know, for the cold weather schools, get some like knit caps out there. So it was really neat to see what they're going to do where before, I don't know, there was, a, you know, you had these sponsors or whatever, but they seem to really be embracing this. And this could be something good for the PAC 12 where you're actually getting out there and talking about the conference of champions a little bit more. It seems like jockeys like willing to do that. Wow. You went conference of champions right there. You are feeling, you're feeling the uh, Bill Walton fire. 
Yeah, it could be very cool. Um, I would love to see the tie-dyed uh, Bill Walton shirt. I'd love to um, also wear that shirt. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> so we'll see uh, what's going on with that. But thanks again uh, to Tom. He's been he's been great. And uh, I'm definitely wearing my, you know, doing a lot of golf. I got a lot of uh, golf wear out of this. So this has been very cool. But this super nice guy. Uh, you know, it's a Midwestern company with, you know, Wisconsin. Uh, family owned for a long time. So kind of cool. I'm glad, you know gear or not it was neat that they just reached out to us and you kind of talk about it because we you know we could talk about things and just be like oh this is terrible that's terrible but there's actually real people we're talking about and uh these these people seem pretty cool so yeah kudos very to cool yeah. yes thank you jockey uh all right so this morning we decided to do this is like eight in the morning on a sunday podcast just so you guys know um because you know our schedules are all weird and there's all kinds of weird stuff going on but i figured you know like, you know what it's like the weekend. A lot of the the schools in the Pac-12 footprint had either spring scrimmages. So Utah and uh, USC had their spring scrimmages over the weekend, but also a bunch of you know spring games, but also a bunch of spring scrimmages were popping up. So uh, one, two, three, four, five, eight schools had something going on that I saw and uh, and read about. So you want a little you want a little update on some of these schools, David? No matter what I say right now, we're going to get it, right? We're going to have to do it anyway, yeah. Well, first, okay. uh, <laughs> since you do this. UCLA Bruins. <laughs> what they do this weekend, spring ball? Uh, the Bruins uh, still have not started oh, spring practice. Okay. <laughs> uh, they will start spring practice not tomorrow, not Tuesday, not Wednesday, but Friday. Mm. And then they'll go for a month and have their spring game at the end of May. Okay. So uh, no update there, but all right. Uh, well, well, you know, they'll, well, they'll be like the only team in spring football, so we can have like they'll, they'll, the world's eyes will be on them. The yes. the attention of all will be upon the UCLA football program here in these uh, momentous moments in college football in May. Mm, yeah. So that's good. Yeah, the first that might be the first ever spring practice game in May in the month of May. It probably will be. I don't. I don't know. You're our uh, spring practice uh, historian here. Yeah, I don't remember any in May, but maybe there have been some. Who knows? Um, all right. The well, only person who would know would be you. So if you don't know, no one truly, no one knows. It's just shocking because we know Chip Kelly is such a conformer. The fact that he's going to go uh, and do spring at a different time than everybody else just seems out of character for he's him. He's just a pure innovator, and it's 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 awesome when he uh, devotes innovation to these really important things like spring. Practice. Yeah. So full disclosure, I am not getting the Pac-12 network right now. Um, it's just, you know, I don't feel like subscribing to another service just to get that. So I didn't get to watch any of the spring games besides uh, USC's uh, yesterday. Were you just uh, kind of itching up your arms and like, you know, hmm. just wondering where you could find a fix? Yeah, I was looking. Yeah, I was going to the methadone clinic and uh, trying to figure, you know, figure out how to get right. through the next day. But there were two spring games yesterday. They were both on the Pac-12. Network got to bump into our friend Yogi Roth at the Coliseum, and first we'll do USC Trojans. They're just gonna be brief, but they were that was the uh, I think the second spring game that the Pac-12 Network showed uh, on Saturday. It would actually was a little bit more like an actual game than what we've seen in the past. The the, the past several years under Clay Helton, they've been more they call it a spring showcase, so it's mostly just been like a glorified practice. Um. 2019, they showed a really terrible practice. It wasn't even a good practice they showed. Uh, but this was actually, you know, they drafted teams. 
with the coaches. They had the offensive coordinator run one team, the defensive coordinator run another team. So it was a little weird. You had the offensive line all mixed and matched. And, you know, they did four quarters. So they tried to make it more like a game. They had limited fans there. They were going to have up to 5,000. I don't think there was that many there. Uh, but the weird thing is they still have six practices left. They did in the middle because the Coliseum was going to be used for like professional rugby and like the women's soccer team and the Pac-12 network wanted to do it this day. So they did their spring game in the middle. Um, but overall it was like, you know, I, it, it felt a little more like a game. The defense, I think played a lot better. All the quarterbacks threw a, a pick pretty much. Um, you got to see two young freshman quarterbacks, Jackson Dart and Miller Moss. Uh, unfortunately, the offensive line really got pushed around a lot. The USC's defense, I think, with a year of install from Todd Orlando's system, I think they're going to be really good. The offense got a lot of skill. Keaton Slove is really good. The offensive line might not be very good. So we'll see what happens there. And I really liked uh, Keontae Ingram, the Texas transfer running back. So he looked good. A lot of, you know, a lot of guys. Drake London's awesome. He's a stud. Drake Jackson, the defensive lineman, he's a stud. So they got some studs. They got some some issues. But we'll see. But, yeah, spring game. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's that's exciting. So that's one down. That's um, one down. Yeah. Uh, I know dude, you're probably not going to comment much, so I'll just No, no, uh, this is this is amazing. Uh, it's it's incredible work that you've done here. Um, <laughs> USC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that was an accident to like go over you on that. It was but, incredible but, and but it, it worked. Perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> So Utah spring game. We actually have a really fun email. Why don't you read the the email, the spring game email after I I do my little blurb because it's pretty funny. Okay. Did, okay, it's the first one. So there was no fans and no media until Saturday. Uh, I don't think there was any fans. I think it was just media on Saturday spring game. So Utah couldn't watch. You know, the media couldn't watch anything going on. Um, Charlie Brewer is the quarterback that was getting a lot of praise by. Kyle Whittingham throughout spring and the Ute zone people thought he looked really good. Apparently it was 15 of 15, 151 yards and two touchdowns. So it's one of those things when a, when you're not watching practice and the coaches tell you, wow, this guy looks amazing. And then you actually see him in a game and they're like, they were terrible. Like what were you seeing in practice or was there something different? But apparently he lived up to the billing that Witt was uh, uh, providing during you know his updates. So overall, um, the young quarterbacks look pretty good for Utah, but they won't see Cameron rising until the summer. So he had that injury last year. So uh, that'll be a good competition when all the guys come back in the fall. They did have a bunch of offensive linemen out, and there was about nine sacks. Uh, shocker that the Utah defensive line is really good. Um, they said on the site that basically six or seven deep at defensive tackle that all could play. It's as deep as they've ever seen it. So that's something at Utah because they always have a, a good and deep defensive line so you know they figure out the quarterback spot defense should still be really good um you know people might be sleeping on utah a little bit but sounds like uh you know they're gonna be back so and that's so, a yeah so, so nine sacks they, let, they were letting them hit the quarterback so you know at least at the usc practice i saw it's you know you get close to the quarterback and they blow the play dead so, so what you mean is a, a virtual sack virtual nine virtual sacks and there was a lot throughout the conference over the weekend uh, right, yeah, so, no, there are a lot USC of virtual sacks in practice. Of, USC gave up a ton of sacks, too. But sometimes it's like if you have a mobile quarterback and the guy gets there and touches them, it's a sack. But Even if uh, you don't, how many times have you seen a defensive end just like uh, does one of those, eh, just my, my arm is, uh, I didn't form tackle him, he's gone now. Like, it's just you know, virtual it happens sacks, a lot. whatever. You virtual got three feet away from the quarterback suck. is basically what you mean. 
that so if you remember like when Sam Darnold was practicing with USC, part of his why he was great was because he could get away from those virtual sacks and then also make a play down the field, not just like or scramble squirt the ball out of his hands because they were covered in like some kind of um, weird fluid. <laughs> right, his, the small hands thing. But so you wouldn't see that in practice because he would be virtually sacked. But in a game, he wasn't virtually sacked, and then he not only got away. He didn't just pick up a couple yards. He threw it downfield and made a huge play. So, I yeah. love paying attention to statistics from spring games. It's one of my favorite um, practices. It's okay. Like- you ready for Brian's email? Yes. Utah spring practice report. First of all, I can't believe Steve Bartle and Dan Sorensen from UteZone.com didn't want to send you guys a Utah football practice report. Turning down the hundreds of cents you could offer them to participate, I'm sure, was difficult. Since Dave in particular was dying for a report about Utah spring football, here is a report. I knew if I did the actual work for you guys, you might read it on the air. I actually got most of my information from my Ute Zone subscription and other media in Utah. First of all, they have a tough job as Utah football closed spring practice to all outside observers. All they get are occasional nuggets from inside the program. They blamed COVID, but frankly, if it were up to Kyle Whittingham, the games would be played in secret and he would just tell everyone the final score after the fact. The storyline in Utah spring football has been finding a quarterback. Cameron Rising got hurt one game into last year, and Jake Bentley moved on. Utah brought in three new quarterbacks, grad transfer Charlie Brewer from Baylor, Jaquindon Jackson, a freshman transfer from Texas, and Peter Castelli, a four-star transfer from Mission Viejo, who skipped whatever California is calling its abomination of a spring football season to enroll early for spring. The word out of camp is Charlie Brewer is shining and is clearly in the lead for the quarterback job. Rising comes back in the fall and they will battle it out, but it sounds like Brewer may be the guy. The other key battle is at running back where the untimely death of Ty Jordan and two late transfers left Utah to find new blood at running back. Utah brought in TJ Pledger from Oklahoma and Chris Curry from LSU to compete with incumbent Micah Bernard. No word that any have separated yet. At receiver, the word is Jalen Dixon, who didn't play last year after entering the transfer portal and then returning has stood out in his return. Of course, Utah has Britton Covey returning as a 10th-year <laughs> senior, trying to become the first player ever to play college football with his own kids. I kid, but Kobe, Covey was a freshman all the way back in 2015. On defense, Utah returns their whole defense except at strong safety, where Nate Ritchie left to fill an LDS mis- mission. There are a few options to fill in his spot, including early enrollee uh, freshman Cole Bishop. Utah wraps up spring practice this week with a scrimmage that allowed 6,500 fans to attend. Tickets sold out in two hours, and proceeds will be donated to the Ty Jordan Scholarship Fund. I'm sure Ryan will be watching and speculating on whether the red or white team will win. Thanks for all the mediocre work, fellas. Keep it up, and go Utes. Great email from Brian. Yeah, hey, thanks, if Brian. Any of you, if any of you out there feel that, they, that you're not getting sufficient um, reportage on this, say, you know, your 247 publisher, maybe they were busy. Maybe they were slacking. And you have some detailed knowledge of your team that you would like to share and get shared, feel free. This was a great email. We loved it. We learned some things. We had a good time. Uh, and uh, and now we know a little bit more about Utah football. Yeah, that was great. Thanks, Brian. And uh, it, yeah, that's cool. That So there were no fans up until Saturday. I thought it was just media, but they did let fans in. And it's great they sold tickets and for the Ty Jordan uh, fund. That's, that's awesome. And I thought his line about, you know, Whittingham would rather like not let fans into the game and just like sent, tell everyone who won afterwards. Like I thought that was great. Yeah. Beautiful. Pretty good stuff. Uh, thank you for that one. And yeah, Cameron, you know, we'll uh, see when Cameron Rising comes back. What's that, that uh, qu- quarterback competition is like. 
All right, we'll go through the rest of these. We have Arizona Wildcats. So they had their second spring scrimmage. It wasn't the, uh, you know, the spring game. Uh, three practices left, so I think the last one will be the spring game. So a lot of quarterback transfer talk. So why can you uh, feel the anticipation? Like, are you are you going to be able to sleep the night before? I'm getting ready for Arizona spring game for sure. Uh, Jed Fish, you know, there's everyone's wearing their their fish tie-dye t-shirts maybe the jockey can do a tie-dye fish t-shirts for arizona football too i think that'd be there awesome you go. now we're talking uh washington state transfer gunner cruz uh he's still so he just got there and he's still getting acclimated so basically his first time working with anybody was with uh you know during spring football they had the top three running backs out uh they let fans in the the practice it was a nighttime practice under the lights so the fans were able to come uh, they had cheerleaders there, like USC Spring Ball didn't have that at all, and uh, a couple dozen members of the marching band. So I think they're really trying to do it, get people excited uh, there in Arizona. Um, so, you know, Stanley uh, Barry Hill is a wide receiver. He had a long TD. He's been the offensive MVP of camp so far. And then they have something called a TD stick. You know, the turnover, the the turnover chains and stuff like that. Apparently, mm-hmm. if you score a touchdown, there's some kind of stick they do. I don't know all the details on that, but uh, that, I thought that'd be something you would like. Our, our our 247 publisher for Arizona had a great line on Twitter about that, uh, Jason Shear. I want to give him a shout out. Uh, they should call it the fish stick. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I haven't no, seen a picture of it yet or a video or anything. Have you seen it? Uh, no, I haven't seen it. I don't know what the heck it is. But, I don't um, know, man. Whatever. Everyone's I, got I mean, some turnovers thing are rare. They do after turnovers now. Yeah, turnovers are just kind of rare. Like for TDs, it's sort of like you know, do you want to have like a first down, uh, you know, mirror or something so you can like look? I don't know. Whatever's going on. Yeah, just have have a. I've got a successful run uh, explosion. I like to do. So anytime we get a run over four yards on first and ten, uh, yeah. <laughs> the run. <laughs> The run explosion <laughs> yes. uh, produce. Like you I get blow a, you something just... up with TNT. <laughs> I like it. Nice. All right. So, yeah. So, Arizona, they're definitely trying to create some buzz. If you watch, you know, follow Jason, but any of the, the social media people, Jed Fish is a fun follow. You know, they're really trying to get people excited there in Arizona and let you forget that they've lost the last 12 games they've played. So, that's part of what they're doing. Uh, but I, I like the direction they're going. It's probably just going to take a little bit. Next up, we got Oregon Ducks. So they had their first scrimmage uh, over the weekend. 1,500 fans at the scrimmage. Uh, that's cool. It's practice number eight. Uh, the offense won this one. C.J. Verdell had a 70-yard run on the very first play. So that sort of set the tone. Uh, other practices have been back and forth a little bit. So I guess the offense took control. Uh, five-star stud Justin Flo is coming. He had that knee injury. Um last year so he's should be fully recovered fairly soon so um you know they're going to look forward to getting him back in the mix and their spring game is going to be may 1st so they're uh they're pushing into may as well not like starting you know whatever in may but they're they're pushing in may exciting yeah so good stuff i mean oregon won the pac-12 they're gonna you know they're gonna be good uh let's see let's go to our buddy carl colorado buffalo This was their second scrimmage. Uh, they had it on Friday. That's weird. Why didn't they just have it on Saturday? But they had it on Friday. Uh, so their second scrimmage of the spring. Apparently it was a little more balanced um, than what we've seen some of the other ones where it would be like kind of lopsided. So 
You know who uh, Jarek Broussard is, Dave? Yes, I'm aware of the fellow. Yeah. Uh, were you? Do you remember that he was actually the 2020 Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year? I, I don't. I don't usually pay attention to those things, but I. It, it does not surprise me to remember that. Yeah. Now he was a stud last year. Uh, he's actually been out. He had a minor ankle sprain. So Alex uh, Fontenot gained uh, about 100 yards of offense, so he filled in v- rather nicely for the scrimmage. Future starter, Alex Fontenot. Yeah. So he um, was the most improved player in 2019, if you remember, for the for the Colorado offense. But then he missed all of last year with a hip injury. So a couple of good running backs there for Carl Durrell if they're both going to be healthy this fall. Um, you might get Broussard back next week. Another transfer, and there's multiple Tennessee quarterback transfers in the conference, but JT Shroud looked pretty good. Um, they ran about 50 or 60 plays because they're pretty thin at several spots. So, uh, you know, had a, a good competitive scrimmage. And, uh, you know, we'll see what Colorado does. I mean, that outperformed expectations in 2020, right? Do you, you know, is it going to be, you got to, Carl DeRose kind of avoid the kind of fall back uh, in 2021. Yeah. And there's absolutely no indication from spring one way or the other about how that's going to go. Yeah. We don't know yet, but you know, it's, it's to me, it's not necessarily about, Oh wow, this guy had a great passing day or whatever, but it's sort of like, you know, refreshes you of where these guys are. Sometimes you you forget a guy that's leaving or whatever. And, I don't know. I just like getting these little updates. You love you're it. Not, you're not I know. a fan, but I love it too. You're right. gonna love this one because it's our 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 best pal, Oregon State Beavers. <laughs> Angie Machado does a great job up there. Beaverblitz.com. Uh, they had the first scrimmage, hundred live snaps. So this was no no joke of a scrimmage. Uh, this finished up their week two. Really, the first time they did some live tackling up there. And this, I mean, I want to get your thoughts on this, David, but sometimes you're just going through practice. It's not live where you're not like tackling guys to the ground and the offense can cannot do what they want. That first opportunity, it sounds like this was what happened at Oregon State, where the defense gets to actually tackle you, boom, um, they uh, they do so and kind of knock the offense off the, on their ass a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's typical in most spring balls. I mean, you'll often hear that the defense is ahead of the offense, uh, especially like as soon as pads come on, largely for that reason, um, because it is just kind of unfair until it comes on. I would say in um, like one-on-one drills, uh, offensive line versus defensive line, it actually helps the offense once pads are finally on, um, because then uh, the offensive lineman can actually like push and shove a little bit more. Um, But uh, for the large portion of the game like the actual scrimmage stuff the 11 on 11 stuff uh yeah once tackling starts to happen the defense suddenly catches up yeah it it gives them a little bit of an advantage there um one of the focuses this spring is Oregon State wasn't great at turnovers they're going to try to be a lot more physical and uh you know Jonathan Smith said create some like some of those game-changing turnovers because you make that big play that big hit something happens and it really can change the momentum of a game so trying to step up the physicality. So it sounds like they did that on Saturday. They had a couple of downfield picks. Those are big, you know, game-changing plays. Uh, really, you know, experienced group in the front seven uh, for Oregon State. So if they can put it together with some good secondary play, you know, we'll see. It's We, we see the, the steady progress uh, for Oregon State. And will this be the year they, they make a big leap forward? We'll see. Very exciting. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to do the uh, Washington schools next. Let's uh, let's do this one. Washington State Cougars. <laughs> Spring. We're going to be excited. We're going to use the good cougar. Um, well, and why wouldn't we be excited? Yeah. It's spring, spring football, baby. It's spring football. You love it. Well, I got two yeah. more left, so you can. Under uh, the bright lights. Yeah. They had their second scrimmage. Um, they're also trying to focus on toughness on the defensive side of the ball. So on Thursday, the offense had a great day, kind of did what they wanted. Uh, the defense responded again, you know, you put the pads on, you can hit a little bit on Saturday. They had seven sacks, uh, total, probably the virtual seven virtual, virtual sacks. sacks. Um, the running backs were the star for the offense, uh, Dion McIntosh and Max Borgie, who you all know, uh, the quarterbacks though, weren't very consistent. Another Tennessee transfer. Jarrett Guarantano is that I think why that, are all these Pac-12 teams trying to get that Tennessee stink over them I don't <laughs> yeah what's There's the deal here factor yeah like uh, you don't need Tennessee quarterback transfers no but we have really two don't. Of them in the Pac-12 yeah yeah you don't want that but him Washington and Kevin State, Cooper, Colorado I I don't know if it's a new coach in the Pac-12 thing but you really don't need to acquire that stink <laughs> Garantano and uh, Cam and Cooper were the two guys that are basically like the oars on the depth chart for quarterbacks. So they each had, I think they had a, each had a touchdown, no picks. Uh, it just wasn't a great overall day for the offense with the defense going there. But yeah, so that's another, that's kind of one of the common themes though. There's going to be quarterback battles at a lot of these Pac-12 schools. And yeah. a lot of the, you know, a lot of them are going to be transfers that are trying to compete as well. All right. Thanks for the update there from our fans at uh, our friends at Kook Fan. And last one, Washington Huskies. <laughs> they had a spring scrimmage up there in Seattle. You know, where you think it's what is it? April, mid-April. So what? Is it, four or five inches of rain. Uh, you know, no sun. It was 80 degrees for their spring, spring scrimmage. So hopefully, you got some uh, some of the uh, you know recruits and stuff watching on FaceTime or something, checking it out. Uh, 2,000 fans were allowed in, so they got to experience a beautiful day and some Washington football. Uh, so Dylan, Mor- Dylan Morris is running with the first uh, team quarterback, so he's, that's what he's been doing all spring. Uh, they had a lot of running backs kind of get, you know, trying to figure out who they were going to run the football. Not much consistency there, though. They said, uh, according to Chris Fetters, the defense won by a mile, and they, you know, they were keeping score. Uh, basically like offense plays, defensive plays. So the defense won by quite a bit and they had to run gassers afterwards. They're about halfway through eight practices left in Washington. So that spring game will be coming up in a little bit as well. Very exciting. Super exciting. I would say yes. No. Yeah. I, I I'm, I'm uh, almost speechless, you know, <laughs> it's like, um, it's like my first trip to Disneyland right now. I just, uh, I really can't contain myself. And so I'm just trying to, I'm trying to take it all in, you know? And so if I, if you find me a little bit of a loss for words or, or you even feel perhaps that I am disengaged from this, just understand that that's, uh, just my, um, my facade because underneath it all, I'm just, uh, I'm just jangly nerves because of, um, just how excited I am about spring, spring football. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, is there any other uh, notes you wanted to bring up uh, on the Pac-12 uh, about the uh, about about football? Anything about anything? Um, I uh, mean, like we still got the Arizona coaching search going on for hoops. That, yeah. You, you know, do you have some insight on that? I, I don't know. 
It's not still going on. They they hired their coach. Oh, they did? Yes. Arizona has hired Tommy Lloyd. This happened several days ago. Uh, huh. He is the Gonzaga. Gonzaga. Or Gonzaga. Depends on which way you want to go with it. Tommy Lloyd kind of went Gonzaga in his press conference. So I think there's, you know, there's many ways to skin a cat. Um, Tommy Lloyd was a career assistant at Gonzaga uh, or Gonzaga or Gonzaga. uh, And he was hired by Arizona. Uh, I would say Arizona in as much as they had identified a guy to hire uh, early on in the process, they got their guy. Uh, I think Tommy Lloyd was the initial name that everyone was hearing. And then a week or so into the search, week and a half into the search, they got him. Um, and so I think from that standpoint, it was a successful search. It probably went on a little bit longer than it should have, um, considering they should have known they were firing Sean Miller at the end of the regular season, since no games were played in between uh, the end of the regular season and when Sean Miller was fired, like 40 days later. Um, but uh, I would say... It looks to me, it looks like a good hire. Um, I think Lloyd uh, has a really good resume as far as recruiting and acquiring talent. He's worked under one of the very best. Um, he's, you know, got all of the uh, accolades uh, that you can have basically as an assistant coach. Um, and he seems to, you know, have a lot of strong recommendations from a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, I think Arizona got a good one. Um, and uh, whatever you thought about the search or whatever, I think it's now two processes uh, that were bleh, like really not great coach hire processes. But they ended up with Jed Fish and Tommy Lloyd. Again, it's it's two guys who were not head coaches before. So I think if you're if you're looking for some reason to uh, be concerned, that's it. Um, but both of them are not like, you know, randomly hiring the Denver Broncos wide receivers coach or something like that. I mean. Hiring two guys who probably were going to get their shot very soon. Um, and, you know, you can nitpick as to whether uh, Arizona should be the starting job for anybody. Um, but uh, I think, you know, I mean, it's it's always a crapshoot, but I think Lloyd will do well there. Did uh, I think Wilner was a big proponent of getting like a Eric Musselman in there. Did you would you have agreed with that? Well, if they could have, um, yeah. I mean, I think you pay any amount of money to get him, but I think Arizona's a little bit cash-strapped right now. Um, so that would have been difficult because I think you would have needed to you would have needed to throw out like five or six million dollars a year to get him, um, pry him from an SEC school. And because you, you have to at least match the money. Um, and Arkansas, I think I think they upped him to like four or five million. Um, you have to at least match the money because um, Arizona is a better job than Arkansas. Um, it's, you know, your only your only historical competition in the league is UCLA. Obviously, Oregon's pretty good right now. Um, and, uh, you know, there's some other good coaches in the league. But um, historically, your only major competition for elite recruits in the league is UCLA. Whereas at Arkansas, you've got, you know, there, there's a lot of medium to strong powers in the SEC that you're competing with every year. It's a harder, harder situation to emerge and and you know get that high seed and and be in good position in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Arizona's a better job, but you had to match the money. So uh, Musselman would have been a home run, but um, I just don't think it was necessarily realistic with what uh, Arizona wanted to spend. Um, Lloyd sounds like it was the best fit from that standpoint. Uh, they could get him for not 
five million dollars a year because um, he is a career assistant. Um, notwithstanding that he was going to be Gonzaga's head coach whenever Mark Few retired, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think from like a acumen standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, from a money standpoint, I think Lloyd was the one who uh, checked pretty much all the boxes for them. Nice. So he had to throw you a softball there so we can talk a little hoops before we take a break. Look, I appreciate it. I appreciate it because I had to I had to get back into my analytical mind after trying to get out of the excitement mind, right? Because you'd been talking about spring football for so long. <laughs> I was so jazzed up. I had nothing to nothing to say. I, I was speechless. But then you you just know me so well. You knew I needed to re- get back into something just so I could to analyze it so we can flow into the questions nicely now. You yeah. know, because I'm not I'm not in that excited space anymore. Now I'm ready to go. I gave you like the podcast of equivalent of CPR gets you back into the. Yeah, no, you nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> we're like we're like hand in glove right now. We are. Boom. Well, why don't we take a quick break? You know, go off if you want to, you know, go play nine holes or something. We'll be right back and uh, talk about the Pac-12 in question form from all of our listeners back in a minute. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. How'd you spend your break? I did play. I got nine holes in and uh, yeah, shot five over. Not bad. It was pretty good for me. Um, But yeah, how about you? I I cooked a a really nice meal. Oh. Here at 8.48 in the morning. Um, (laughs) No, it was actually really bad. It was really bad. I'm not a good cook. And I tried to do it in about 30 seconds and it just didn't. It really didn't go very well. I'm kind of ashamed of it. I don't really want to talk about it anymore, Ryan. Okay. Well, I, I need to have you over for uh, – I I got this thing down now. I'm doing little fishing expedition, expeditions – expeditions – expeditions out, uh, you know, out here in the, the Santa Monica Bay and uh, catching some rockfish. They're not huge, but, you know, they're, they're good, like kind of hearty fish. They're awesome for fish tacos. So I've been making some fish tacos lately, and uh, it's legit. So – Okay. So some homemade margaritas with fresh squeezed juice. It's a date. And uh, some some fish tacos. We'll hang out. We'll have a couple drinks. Eat a bunch of tacos. I think it'll be fun. Oh, 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 oh. Um, so I'm a fully vaccinated man now, right? Congratulations. Yeah. So I got Moderna too. Um, now how did you feel at this right oh now? Oh, my God. All right. So first, everyone get out there and get vaccinated. Okay. Second. Yeah. Uh the shot number two knocked me on my ass for, I want to say, 48 hours. 
like a full 48. I was – so I uh, I got it at 3 p.m. on Tuesday, and I was fine. I felt fine. You know, a little bit of sore arm by the end of the night, but whatever. Woke up in the morning, and I felt like I had the worst flu of my life. Like just achy, chills, headache, fever, the whole thing. It was miserable for 24 hours. And then it was like pretty bad for another 24. But I finally got rid of the chills after 24. But I, oh. I rocked a 102-degree fever for like, I don't know, about 12 straight hours. Wow. Like that. It was gnarly, man. 10 out of 10. Do recommend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so anyway, for, for those of you out there getting your vaccines, first, get your vaccines. Do it. Come on. You can do it. Uh, second, um, if you get the Moderna, you know, if there's Pfizer available or hell, even the one with the blood clots, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but Moderna, uh, if you're getting Moderna and you get Moderna too, uh, just either. So first don't do it on a Friday. Cause come on, don't do that. Don't, don't ruin a weekend, but make sure you're like, you're putting the OOO on your calendar for, uh, for the day after. Okay. Be out of the office call that a sick day. Cause it will be a real sick day. It won't even be one of those sick days where you feel kind of guilty. Cause you're just sitting around doing nothing. It, you're going to feel pretty bad. So just make it a real sick day and just do it. Okay. All right. That's my, that's my medical advice for you. Uh, um, get your vaccine, but prepare for the idea that shot number two is going to knock you on your ass. So I've heard people, I, I'm getting Moderna, I think in nine days, the second one. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I'll let you know if I get the same kind of stuff. I've heard people that were fine and other people that affected them differently. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, I, so I got it. So I think it's something with the uh, the genetics in the Woods clan, because m my sister and I literally got it the exact same way on the exact same timeline. It was freaky because she got it like two hours after me, like the next day. And every one of her symptoms either came or subsided exactly two hours after mine did. Um, so I got it. So the one thing I didn't have that uh, some people have gotten is a little bit of the number two issue. Um, uh -huh. I didn't get that. Uh, but basically everything else I got pretty extremely. Um, so I would prepare for that as like the uh, the upper bound, the extremity of what could potentially happen. Um, and if you're a little bit older, I've heard the symptoms could be less um, because it has to do with how actively your immune system responds to, to stuff. And as you get older, your immune system's a little less active. Yada, yada, yada. I'm not a doctor. I just whatever. If you're younger, it tends to hurt you a little bit more. But um, in any case, even the oldsters who have gotten it, and I'm not, not using that pejoratively, just letting you know, uh, it still is, you know, uh, you feel a little ill for a day. Um, so, no matter how you slice it, hit that out of office button for the day after. Okay, you can do it. That makes sense. Um, I will. I will not plan on running a marathon or anything the day after my vaccine. Do not do it. Yeah. Yeah. Or could do you think I could record the podcast the day after the vaccine? I didn't. Right. Is that, that part of the reason was, why we that didn't was why, record? That right? was why we did not record this week. Is because <laughs> I uh, that was actually peak bad for me because it was you wanted to do it almost exactly 24 hours after i got it and i was that was the point so there so i was um hanging out with my kids and then um 
at some point, like it's all kind of because I was like rocking that fever, like the memories are not like quite clear. At some point, I just kind of wandered into my room and just kind of collapsed on the bed for three and a half hours, which was when we were going to be recording. Um, so that could have been interesting. It could have been a fun show. Um, but yeah, anyway, get your vaccines so we can all live normal and happy lives again. Just prepare for the idea that you're going to feel a little bit crappy on number two. Yeah. All right. Well, I will uh, look forward to that. Do you, should you take uh, some Tylenol beforehand or what do they say to do? Like, what's the. So I was getting mixed messages on it. So and also I'm not a big uh, I'm not a big pill popper. I, I never was. Um, I generally just kind of suffer. Um, that's just the way of my people. Uh, so I didn't take anything until uh, probably 18 hours post shot when it started to feel really, really bad. And then I just started taking Tylenol. Which, from what I understand, might not be the best way to go. You might want to take ibuprofen. Uh, but yeah, this is where we get into I'm not a doctor. So do your own research out there, everyone. Uh, do what works best for you. Uh, but, yeah, I started just mainlining Tylenol every six hours for uh, about a full day, um, which I think took the edge off a little bit. But I, I, I don't know. I really don't. All right. Well, good stuff there. There's your vaccine update from the POC crew. Uh, yeah, I'll let you know. So, yeah. So, it's like mine's like next Tuesday. So, I have, yeah, like what, nine days or something like that. Uh, all right. Well, we were just talking about um, some hoop stuff. You want me to play uh, the hoops voicemail we got? I would love it. Here we go. What's up, guys? This is Evan from Tempe. Uh, you guys have been talking about basketball uh, kind of a lot lately. So, I was thinking. I had a question for David. Uh, so I really don't like Bobby Hurley. I never have. I don't know why everyone here likes him. Uh, and you said something on one of the pods recently that you kind of don't really think he's that great either. And I, I, I don't think he's good at all. And so uh, I just want to know, do you think the ASU could get anyone better, though? Because, like, I keep saying, like, I don't like Bobby Hurley, but he's kind of a decent recruiter, and so – He's pretty solid recruiting, I think. So I'm just not sure if, if we fired him, if we get anybody better. So do you think if we fired him that we could get better? Do you think we're just kind of screwed either way with or without him? And then my next question is just who has the best defensive back group in the Pac-12? So I've heard like a bunch of different opinions on that one. I know what you guys think. So thank you guys. Peace. All right. Good stuff from Evan. Uh, yeah, so – I don't think Bobby Hurley is a great coach. I think he's a, a demonstrably pretty good recruiter. Um, but ASU is not, I mean, it's not like a job where um, you like just a hundred percent can't win. I mean, Herb Sendak, who's, I think he's a pretty good coach, maybe not an elite recruiter. Uh, he had, um, I don't know. What were they in 2009? They had James Harden. They were uh, uh, 15th in Ken Palm. It, nothing Hurley has done has outperformed the best of Herb Zendek or even the best of Rob Evans, Evans before him. Um, he's had six years now. Um, I would say it's not necessarily trending in a great direction. This year may come with an asterisk just because I think the COVID stuff did hit them particularly hard. But just the roster design, the the lack of um, getting them to consistently buy in defensively um, is, you know, one of the, I think, bigger issues um, I don't know if it's like a situation where he's yet fireable. Um, that's the part where it's uh, a little unclear to me, but I don't, I, I think he's demonstrably not the answer at this point. Um, 
And I think ASU should have some expectations. I mean, it's kind of a tough situation because Arizona has um, the uh, pedigree, the tradition, and ASU doesn't. It's kind of more of a, eh, I don't know if it's a full flip from football, but it's a little bit more of the reverse. Um, so you've got Arizona and UCLA ahead of you for a lot of the recruits in the you know general area that ASU would want to be recruiting. But um, as Hurley has shown and as Sendek showed, um, you can acquire talent at ASU. It's not a bad job. Um, it's in one of the growing metro areas where, you know, if you can convince kids to stay home, there's Arizona talent every year in basketball, the same the way there is in football. Um, so I think ASU, particularly with Arizona now, um, potentially with Lloyd, because he's an international recruiter, Maybe he's going to be looking even less um, to compete with UCLA um, for West Coast. I don't know. We'll see. But if he's looking even less for that and it's looking to kind of follow more of a Gonzaga model where they're doing, um, you know, recruiting nationally and internationally, maybe that leaves a little bit more of an opportunity for ASU to go after, um, you know, UCLA is obviously surging right now, even in recruiting, but um, ASU to maybe acquire that that next level down um, of LA and um, Arizona recruits. Um, and that could fill, fill a pretty good backbone of the program going forward. Um, I don't think the answer is Hurley though. Um, and I don't know how many years it's going to take to get out from under him. I would assume, you know, they just had three straight years prior to this one where they won 20 games a year. Um, that was going to set him up for the foreseeable future. Uh, he just went 11, 11 and 14. If they have another bad year next year, um, then maybe it sets up to uh, make a change. But uh, there's an opportunity here, I think, for ASU to actually be good um, going forward. But it's going to um, I think it will I think it will have to be under a new coach. I, I don't I don't think Bobby Hurley's quite the uh, the quite has the coaching chops um, to get this done for ASU. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. So uh... I'm going to go with whatever Dave said. This is sort of like the opposite of the spring game stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he yeah. did ask a uh, a football question there at the end. Oh, what was the football one? Now I forgot. Something about defensive backs. I don't remember. Oh, well, we'll have to move on. You can't ask, too, you can't ask me a second football question after Hang on, hang on. Question. Let me see if I can piece it together from this, uh, from the transcript we got. Okay. Who has... Who has the best defensive back group in the Pac-12? Yeah. I um, yeah, I, I think we'd have to do a little more. It's you know, amazing with your with your uh, deep dive into the spring games that you don't know this answer. You would think just watching all of the spring games, you would know. I've not been watching all the spring games. Um, yeah. I know USC is as good. I've watched them. Uh, you know, I think, you know, Washington... That's some good stuff going on. We'll see. I, we'll have to like kind of pop around and, and see how these they, these performances are. But it's, I would say it's hard to say that right now in the spring. You know, everyone's lost some guys. Um, you know, Utah, I think only lost their safety. Um, you know, we got the update he was going on a mission. Uh, Oregon State's got a better front seven than, you know, the secondary. So we'll have to see what they do there. But, you know, Washington, you know, Oregon had lost guys last year. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Yep. Uh, do you want another voicemail? Do you want to go to emails? What would you like to do? You want to knock out all the voicemails first? 
Yeah, let's talk about the voicemails. All right, here's uh, next our buddy Perk. Hey guys, it's Perk. Um, it's at this time of year for basketball and, and after bowl season for college football where uh, coaches have their uh, salary raises and contract extensions. I've already seen a few head scratches already for basketball. So I was wondering if I could get your guys' thoughts on, on how you guys feel um, athletic directors handle this process. Um, I know Ryan in the past has talked about the Clay Helton contract extension and, and how no one was really going to hire him from USC and, and they kind of gave him that extension after he did exactly what a USC head coach should do, which is win the Pac-12 and, and, and win a Rose Bowl. Um, and I know every school has different um, priorities or at a different level. I can understand, you know, for example, Purdue uh, extending or, or raising the pay for Jeff Brown um, because schools were trying to pry him away, but I can't understand South Carolina or Tennessee's um, decision with Jeremy Pruitt. So I was wondering uh, what your guys' thoughts are and, and how you think athletic directors should approach uh, this scenario with, with coaches in regard to extensions or, or salary increases. Thanks, guys. Hey, Perk, good stuff. Um, it's funny, David, I'll, I'll get your thoughts too. I just, for me, you have these athletic directors that I feel they're mostly in over their heads. They don't, you know, they are, you're swimming with sharks and these agents, you know, it's not like you're dealing with, you know, you're sitting on a porch with Kyle Whittingham and talking about, you know, yeah, you know, we want you to stick around. What should we do for a deal? All these coaches, or most of them, have big time agents now. They do this for a living. Uh, they're, you know, swimming with the the sharks, like I said, you know, general managers and you know, all the major sports. Uh, the athletic directors aren't really that way. I mean, they're dealing with boosters all day. It's it's you know. I feel like you need like a position that's just like you're the negotiator. You're the the person that knows how this business works and you don't get fleeced by these super agents that are out there just, you know, crushing you because you're you're way in over your head. So yeah, I feel like that's something that's happening. There's schools that just handle it well and they probably have people that do have that kind of experience from working in professional sports. But if you don't and it's like you're you're calling boosters all day trying to get them to donate money. I don't know if you're equipped to when Scott Boris calls, you know, you're trying to, um, you know, Jimmy Sexton, I guess is the better example, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what he, what he wants from his client. I mean, he's going to sweet talk you make all the sense of the world. And then you're going to sign some terrible deal. And this coach is going to make a lot of money for the rest of his life. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, all of that's totally true. Um, I think a lot of them are in over their heads. I think a lot of them have different priorities from their fan bases. Um, I think a lot of them have very selfish priorities sometimes. Sometimes they don't want to go through a coaching search, and so they're going to continue to add years and extensions and all that kind of stuff because they don't um, uh, <laughs> They want to set up the future circumstance where they are unable to fire that guy. Um, and I think for a lot of athletic directors, um, knowing how visible – um, and how critical coach hires are for their um, job, their legacy, all that kind of stuff. They want to punt on those decisions as long as humanly possible. And so at the first sign of success where they can dole out um, extensions, raises, continuations of buyouts, all that kind of stuff, they will take it. Uh, that's not everybody, but that's a lot of them. Um, and so I, I think there's a big part of that where it's um, – I mean, think about um, – there's just I think there's a lot of groupthink. There's a lot of suboptimal decision making throughout sports. Um, and I don't think athletic directors are immune to it. Um, 
you know, why do coaches who uniformly are aware of fourth down decision making um, rules and, and what you should actually do? Why are they uniformly more conservative than what the statistical rule would indicate? Uh, because they want to go along with the Joneses. They don't want to um, they don't want to be uh, perceived as doing something way outside the box um, because of what it would say about them, because of how it might affect their job status status. Well, I think athletic directors are similar. They look at out they look outside at all these other institutions offering raises for guys going above 500, making a bowl game and all that kind of stuff. And they say, okay, well, we need to do the same thing. And I think there are some, you know, the really good ones stay cognizant of the job they're in. They stay cognizant of the program status. They stay cognizant of, okay, just winning seven games is not enough at this institution. Um, And they'll be better about it. But the ones who aren't very good about it, um, they just, uh, I think they, they just fundamentally make very bad decisions either based on um, ignorance or uh, kind of selfish thinking. So long story short, uh, generally I think athletic directors handle it badly. They handle raises and extensions very badly. I think there's this theory that if you don't extend a coach, um, you know, beyond three or four years uh, that for some reason he's going to be seen as a lame duck. Um, which I, I don't think you really get into until it's like a year away. Um, but I, there's some belief that adding the security of multiple years beyond this one um, at all times, like always having the contract be extended for three or four years um, is is just the way. Um, and I, I don't know if that's provably true. So I think there's a lot that goes into it. I think it's all very bad. I think the like seven year contracts and stuff like that are all pretty stupid. Um, nobody's yeah. on a seven year timeline anymore. It's all three. Um, you know, you you could do it the outside five, but um, anything beyond that is is nuts. Um, and it's just a grift, mostly by agents. Um, there should be a standard and understanding that it's a job like a CEO, and you're you get paid so much because you will potentially get fired on a whim. Um, and so the, the, the money itself is your umbrella, like, not your umbrella, your, your parachute. Um, and so it's just that, that should be baked in. Instead, they're getting both the parachute and the security, um, you know, the, the seven years or whatever, or the six years. Um, and that's just where it gets silly. Yeah. Well, and that's why all these athletic departments are really mismanaged. They, they are very bad with their money. They're, um, you know, I would say like 70 percent of them are bad with their money. And and you mentioned the parachutes for the coaches. The athletic departments have parachutes, too. So if you were you mentioned like being a CEO, if you or I are the CEO of some you know company and we're losing money, we sign like a, you know, a, a CFO or a, you know, a chief technical officer that's just awful and he drives our product into the ground. We're getting fired. You know, we're not bouncing back from that. We don't have the, the, the company doesn't have that. We might have some kind of golden parachute and we get uh, money to go away, but we're going away. You have this sort of parachute when you're athletic department because, oh, we screwed up. All right. We got to make some calls to boosters and maybe someone will give us money to like fix the problem, you know? So it's not, you know, you have these budgets, but you also have the booster money that could come in and sort of fix any huge mistakes you made, you know? Um, so I don't know if you, what you feel about that, but yeah, it feels like that's this, you know, it, universities can be very poorly run, uh, but you still have all this money coming in from students or donations and stuff. And you sort of can kind of 
It's like a spackle on some of the dings in your wall. It's it's incredibly stupid. Um, And the way they hire these guys is incredibly stupid. Like, uh, generally speaking, I would say it's a former athlete for the school. Um, A lot of times it is. Um, And, like, what pool are you drawing from there? Um, And that's not to say that there aren't former athletes from different schools who are capable of doing this. There totally are. But you're you're just self limiting your pool of candidates um, for I would say no discernible reason um, because somebody can learn your athletic tradition who's actually got like a decent sense of how to spend money what the value what what you should be getting for your money um, what the different values of certain things are um, like I would love to see an analysis of like just coaching hires generally like. What is the correlation between having head coaching experience and not having head coaching experience when you get hired? Like, who wins more? And is it so significant a difference that it's worth the massive premium that you're going to have to pay? Um, Is Arizona's model that they're going to follow here with uh, Jed Fish and Tommy Lloyd, where they're getting former assistants relatively cheaply, is that uh, significantly worse than a model where you're hiring proven head coaches at the Power 5 level? I don't know. Um, I would love to see uh, where the deviation is there. And I think that's the sort of thing that athletic directors and athletic departments should be looking at. But I don't think they do. I, I really don't. I don't. I, I think it gets into like weird ego stuff um, and weird uh, selfish reasoning stuff. Like how many times have you heard the phrase, oh, the athletic department really wants to win the press conference? You know, they really want to hire somebody who's going to make a splash. That's the dumbest stuff I've ever heard. Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you make a splash. I don't think UCLA made a splash when it hired Mick Cronin, but guess what? Literally by the time he was halfway through his uh, opening statement at his opening press conference, he had won over, I think, 90% of the fan base. Um, it doesn't matter. And by the time he you know, coached a full season, I think he'd won over about 100% of the fan base. Um, if, if it proves out, it proves out. And if it doesn't, it's not going to matter how the press conference splash was. Um, and so I, I think it's just uh, generally they're all bad at their jobs. Um, and I think that's true of a lot of people in sports. Um, it's a very insular uh, hiring pool, talent pool, whatever you want to call it, um, from the coaching level all the way up to the athletic director level. Uh, they don't do a good job. Uh, the universities themselves don't do a good job of selecting uh, athletic directors. The athletic directors don't do a great job of selecting coaches. And it's this insane human centipede all the way down. No, I agree with you. Uh, that's that's definitely what you see going on. There's bad decisions in winning the press conference or anything like that. You have people that are motivated to make a decision to keep their job. And if you win the press conference, you get you know, you start off on the right foot, right? Like you're, oh, this is fine. This works. Um, you you know, if you draft, if you're an NFL GM and you draft someone that looks great on paper, and he ends up sucking. You can blame the coach like, oh, look at him. He was this. He was that, you know, all this stuff on paper. Um, I think that happens a lot, too. You're just trying to save your own skin. Uh, And so if you have a great press conference, you're like, see, that was the right hire. He sucks and he loses a lot of games. You're like, well, here's all the reasons why we thought he was going to be a great hire. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you run into too many guys just going for the home run hire. Um, And it's not necessarily a bad move, but um, you got to do your due, due diligence. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Okay, we got one more voicemail. Uh, let me play it for you. 
Hey, David and Ryan. Todd from Orlando here. Um, just wanted to ask you guys, I know there's been a lot of talk about Keaton Slovis and regression this year. And I just want to remind folks, if you don't know who his offensive coordinator was in high school, it was Kurt Warner. And if you can't trust a Penn State running back to correct the quarterback's work, you got nothing coming. Thanks for the time, guys. Have a good one. <laughs> if you can't trust a Penn State running back. <laughs> I love our listeners. I love them so much. That's good stuff. That's really good. Yeah, um, Kurt Warner, um, you know, I think. I think he he helped Keaton Slovis. I mean, I when when Keaton Slovis came in, we never really thought he was going to be, uh, you know, thought he'd be like the fourth string guy. And Graham Harrell made him the number two guy, and then JT Daniels gets hurt, and boom, he has a you know breakout season. So he's looked better, I think. Uh, he did throw a pretty bad pick uh, on Saturday in the scrimmage, but you know, I think he's looked better than what we saw in 2020. We'll we'll see. We'll see how he works. How he works this year. Yeah. Uh, did he say he was Todd from Orlando? Uh, I believe so. That's yep. Todd Orlando. I love it. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> really good. Um, okay. Uh, so where are our actual questions? All right. So we've only got a couple actual questions. Yeah. All right. So we've got one from Hitlerday. Venials. Uh, last week, David expressed confusion whether I was complimenting Ryan by calling a previous answer as thoughtful and coherent as I expected. No need to worry. It would be impossible for me to lose any respect for you boys. I'm going to take that on its face as a compliment right there. Yeah, yeah. Not that he has zero respect for us, so he couldn't lose any. It's right. more about... That's actually the only way it would be impossible. So that's probably the way he mes- means it. But we're going to take it in the non-literal sense. But I, I would say he, it's impossible. He holds us in such high esteem that it's fixed at such a high point. It's at its zenith. Yeah. But I say it would be impossible for him to have no respect for us already because he wouldn't be writing every week and listening to the show. So, yeah, unless it's like a weird, tortured, psycho, you know, psychosexual thing, really. Um, his all therapist right. recommended doing that <laughs> yes, or something? Exactly. Okay. I mean, and we're all into it. Whatever. No big deal. Uh, David mentioned in passing that Cal might need to restructure its defense to become a contender in the North, which interested me because it appeared during the Bears spring game in March that they had done just that. And it made me wonder whether you boys had overcome sloth and avarice to find a TV service to actually watch it. No. No, did not watch it. From their official roster, they've finally gotten some nose tackles, moving Kwani Dang from inside linebacker to outside, where he's much more suited to play, and moving Trey Pastor from safety to inside linebacker. That looks to me like they're returning to the 3-4 with a double eagle front instead of the nickel they spent most of the last two years in because of their glut of DBs and lack of linemen. Do you think those are appropriate moves specifically? And fearing that you've not actually watched a second of Cal football since before the pandemic, what do you think in general about safety linebacker and inside linebacker, outside linebacker swaps? Can they be done effectively in less than a year? Thanks, Hithloday. Um, you know, we see this happen when you got you move guys from levels, you know, one level to the next. Uh, is he a, a big safety or is he a, like a roaming outside linebacker that's faster and you can run sideline to sideline? Uh, you know, it's it's different philosophies. You know, I think that was something you've seen many coaches. I think when Pete Carroll came to USC, um, he wanted to do that more. He wanted to have some of the, the faster linebackers where if you had a, a, you know, a big 250 pound guy that couldn't run sideline to sideline and he's a liability covering backs out of the backfield, you know, he just had a different philosophy. I think that stuff he kind of wanted to do in the NFL and, you know, GMs were, you know, they wanted the 250 pound guy. 
in college, you can kind of get the guys you want. You can recruit those guys. As long as you have, I mean, I think you can make the switch effectively in less than a year, as long as you have some of that personnel. If you don't, and you need to like revamp what your personnel is, you're not just moving guys from one level down. Um, you might need to, you know, a cycle or two of recruiting to kind of get those guys in there, but I think you can do it effectively. It's just, to me, it's just a different, you know, Hey, we want smaller, faster guys out there, or we want, you know, bigger guys that are stuffing the run and things like that. Yeah, I would say um, I'm trying to think because I think going through uh, guys I can remember doing it, I think it's generally a two year um, timeline. Uh, I think you can do it to an extent in year one, but it's more of the package specific stuff like safety is going down to inside linebacker. What I often see that playing out as is essentially a nickel linebacker. Um, some guy who's still kind of matching up mostly against the pass um, and still playing essentially safety skills, um, but just playing a little bit further down in the box um, and then potentially bulking up in an additional offseason. But if it's a planned move, um, you know, maybe they started planning it uh, towards the end of last season um, through January with bulk up and everything like that. Um, I think you could do it. Um, I've certainly seen it done where guys have ended up uh, playing considerably in like base inside linebacker packages after playing safety the previous year. I just don't know how successful it is. I think it does take about two years before you're um, kind of enmeshed as a linebacker. Um, But there are assets to just having it even in year one. I mean, I think you get a little bit more speed and flexibility at that position. Uh, Inside linebacker to outside. um, Again, I think it's very package specific. Um, you know, because it's just you're playing in a different um, situation. Um, you've got to have a, a little bit more edge discipline, um, things that you might not be super comfortable with it. Uh, with Kwani Dang, I think he I, I could be wrong because I'm going back to his recruitment now. Uh, I think he did play outside linebacker um, in high school. Uh, so he, or it might have been JC. Was he a JC transfer? I can't remember. I don't remember, um, yeah. but I think he played some outside linebacker before. I think that's actually where um, UCLA, for one, was recruiting him. So I think it might not be a huge change for him. Um, I think he might have been kind of a fish out of water inside compared to outside. Uh, so that one I could see potentially happening a little bit quicker. Um, and I agree with you. I thought he was always an outside guy. I thought it was a miscast thing to have him potentially trying to replace Evan Weaver's production, at least on the inside, um, get him outside, let him, uh, you know, get his athleticism out there um, working and see if he can rush the passer a little bit. Uh, but I think that one could be pretty su- su- <clears throat> successful. Um, but generally I would say that's also a two year timeline. If you're just trying to train somebody on that entirely new position. Um, but yeah, I would say two year timelines, but you can definitely get a lot of work in packages Um even in that first year. Yeah. Uh, was it Keith Hayward? He's a defensive coordinator now. Is that? Think um, so. Yeah. Cause DeRuiter went to Oregon. I forget all that. There was like that whole like swap between Oregon and Cal. So. Yeah. Isn't Peter Sermon up there now too? Oh yeah. I think so. You're right. Uh, I love the, the swapping, the coach swapping and stuff, but I, I like DeRuiter a lot. You know, we talked about him a bunch, so I think he'll be interesting to watch what he's doing up there. With the Ducks, um, and you know, see what you know. Cal's been, you know, relying on that defense for a while. See what uh, direction they go now. All right, we got an email from Paul. He's Webfoot. Pac-12 scenarios. Champion Dave and Champion Ryan. Some quick, which is more likely scenarios for you to fill uh, 
for you to fill time on you. Um, I don't know what he meant. Okay. I submit these partially to hear what you think, partially to help you fill time during the offseason, partially because I've noticed that I experience a strange, almost physical glee in hearing y'all read whatever I write on the air. Well, we will. I wonder if I should talk to someone about that. Another reference to therapy. Maybe you should. Yeah, okay. a little bit more psychosexual stuff. We love it. It's Yeah, for sure. Uh, anyways, which is more likely? So here's the scenario. He's going to give us uh, some either-or dealies. Colorado leaves the conference and must be replaced, or Texas schools are added to expand the conference. Mm. Got to go Texas schools are added to expand the conference. I don't think anyone's leaving. I don't think anyone's leaving. I, as long as you're not talking about the Texas schools as being like Texas and Texas A&M. If no, you're saying no. like, I think just some schools in Texas added to the conference. I think that's much more likely because uh, yeah. it could be like the SMUs, uh, the, you know, Rice, whatever we talked about or Texas, you know, Texas A&M is not leaving the SEC, but I think the other schools, if, you know, things, some fraction, big 12 fracture happens again or whatever. I think there's some options for sure. And less likely that Colorado leaves. Like where would they go? I'm not sure. Yeah. UCLA wins all three non-conference games or UCLA wins the conference championship. Definitely number one. Yeah. There's all three non-conference games because it's, uh, let me just pull it up again. So I don't say anything out of turn, but, uh, UCLA has LSU, which will be a challenge, uh, Hawaii and Fresno State. Neither Fresno State nor Hawaii should be very good this year. Um, LSU, uh, you know, they're coming off one of their worst seasons of all time. So uh, definitely possible that UCLA could win all three. They're all at home. Yeah, all home games. I, of but, course, they're battling Chip Kelly's track record of having never won a non-conference game at UCLA. Right. I don't think that streak will continue, but to win all three is tough. I might even go towards the conference championship. I don't know. Fresno State is always kind of feisty. And uh, LSU won a championship two years ago. They're still going to have talent. But I'll go with you. I'll go with all three non-conference games. It's just tough. you know. It's like... Saying Arizona's going to win a bunch of games after losing 12 in a row, after losing you know, what, nine, right. co- is it nine non-conference games in a row? Is that what it's been? Uh, UCLA has lost, uh, well, six in a row under Chip Kelly. I don't know oh, what six in a row before that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, six or yeah, because they didn't have any last year. Okay, it was three years, but only six. Okay, yeah, let's go the first one. All right, Jed Fish ends up being worse than Kevin Sumlin was, or the new commissioner ends up being worse than Larry Scott was. Ooh. Jetfish. No, you can't be much worse than Kevin Sumlin was. Uh, new commissioner, I guess. Yeah. So Kevin Sumlin might be the worst coach in Arizona football history. Let me look. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I don't think it's likely Jetfish is worse. But I don't think yeah. it's likely that the new commissioner is going to be worse. This is a tough one. It is. It's very tough. Um, okay. So let me see. By win percentage. Uh, Kevin Sumlin is, uh, he is the third worst all time, but that's, um, compared to a guy named Mike Hankvitz, who only coached seven games at the end of the 2003 season, um, after somebody was fired and Edward Doherty, uh, who coached for two seasons in the fifties. So Kevin Sumlin has had, here's his record at Arizona. Are you ready for this? 
Yeah. He was nine and 20. Ooh. In three years, he had a 31% winning percentage. Um, so I, he's going to be 19th, 19th worst coach in Arizona history by winning percentage. And there's only 21 listed here. Yeah. Um, and the two guys below him again are guys who coached for two seasons in the 50s and half a season in 2003. Kevin Sumlin is the worst coach in Arizona football history. So I, I, I agree. It's going to be hard for Fish to be worse than that because you have the the numbers there. I mean, is is Fish going to lose 12 games in a row? Like that's that's tough. Um, for Larry Scott, it's more subjective, right? Like you're you know, Larry Scott set the conference on a downward trajectory. The new commissioner comes in, could make a bunch of good decisions, and can't overcome the uh, you know the the dip in this roller coaster that that Larry Scott has sent the conference on. So maybe it's a pretty decent new commissioner, but results are worse. Things that this the skewing between yeah. the the rest of Power Five. Yeah. So okay, let's go new commissioner. There we go. USC, Oregon, or Washington makes it to the national championship game this year, or a Pac-12 team other than USC. Oregon or Washington make the playoffs this year. USC, Oregon or UW makes it to the national championship this year. Yeah. I just don't see a scenario like to make the playoff for a, a team that's out of that three. It would have to be, tough. what would we be talking about? We'd have to be talking about ASU, UCLA or Cal. God, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, Utah, I guess Utah, Utah's kind of reloading though. They don't even have their quarterback yet. Yeah, I mean, but, you know. I'm just thinking ASU, ASU and UCLA have the dynamic dual threat type at a quarterback who, you know, how it just they can, that can turn into something explosive um, over the course of the season just kind of randomly. Yeah. I. But no, I mean, there's no way. It's, it's USC, Oregon, or UW making the national title. Because I think those teams, you have a little cachet already. And if it's like an 11 and one squad, you win the Pac-12. You could make the the playoff, and then you just have to win one game. Um, probably be against like Alabama or something, but you know, then you could go to the championship game. I think if you're talking about a non USC, Oregon, or Washington, I think you have to be undefeated to make the playoff. And even then, it could be a question, right? It depends on yeah. what happens everywhere else. So, right. I don't think either one's very likely, but I think the first one's more likely. Totally. This is a triple: uh, Oregon beats Ohio State, or Colorado beats Texas A&M or both lose and Washington also loses to Michigan to make the whole day a flaming pile of dog dog crap for the conference. Okay. Uh, the. All right. So Colorado, Texas A&M, where's that game going to be? I don't know. Okay. So that's going to be in Colorado. Yeah. All right, I'm going to say that one's the most likely, that Colorado beats Texas A&M in Colorado. Hmm, all right. Oregon's going to Ohio State, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes, because they were supposed to play in Eugene this past year. Yeah, and so I don't think all three lose their big non-conference matchups, mostly because I think UW does beat Michigan. Um, But So if I'm going to have to pick a most likely scenario, I'm going Colorado beats Texas A&M. Washington's playing... In Ann Arbor, though, right? Whatever. They're, yeah. I'm going to go the last one. I'm going to say all three lose. That's the, Wow, hater. <laughs> the Hater's going to hate. You clearly weren't paying attention to Bill Walton. This is the uh, Conference of Champions, baby. It is the Conference of Champions. Um, I'm just, 
you know, I picked Colorado to take a dip last year, you know, with the new, with Carl Durrell, they did not. I feel like there's going to be a little bit of regression for Colorado this year. I keep doing my Colorado hate. I don't know. So, but that's good for the buff fans. Cause I tend to be wrong. Um, yep. I don't think they're going to be Texas A&M. So I'm going to go third one, but thanks Paul. He says, thanks for the great podcast. I look forward to it every week. Thanks, Paul. We appreciate you listening and, and writing in. Yep. All right, last one. Uh, this is from Peter in Vancouver. Transfers. Gentlemen, I have a couple of questions about transfers. First, Oregon and USC are generally considered two of the top teams in the Pac-12, but their activity in the transfer portal is remarkably different. Oregon has 11 players that are transferring and adding none, while USC is the only team currently that has added more players to the transfer portal than they have lost. What is your take on what this means for each of those teams? Uh, Oregon, I remember a uh, year or two ago, they were completely full on scholarships, like completely full and potentially a little bit over full. So I think this might be just kind of a pressure release type thing um, where they they needed some guys to bounce um, just to continue to reload on talent. I don't know what USC's deal was. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think so you have to. The transfer portal is sort of like a separate recruiting. You got to look at it like a little separate recruiting deal. And depending on your success and your philosophy, trans, you know, recruiting in high schools, you have to supplement that or change things with the transfer portal. I feel like with Oregon, they've had the top. Rec- when you have the top recruiting class, you're bringing in a lot of guys. You're bringing in very talented guys. The more likely scenario is you have three, you know, great four-star safeties. And one of them's, you know, and being fourth on the depth chart behind some walk-on or a, a third, you know, three-star guy, he's probably not sticking around. And I think that's what you're seeing a little bit more with Oregon. USC had a bad recruiting class a couple of years ago. Um, you know, so there's more guys they're trying to supplement the roster with with transfers. And if you're recruiting, if you have the top recruiting classes, you you know they're less likely to do that. Uh, some schools will leave spots open. So they will bring in more transfers. Now, when you go to the transfer portal, there's a reason a player left. It might be because it just wasn't the right fit. We've seen some great quarterback transfers that didn't have an opportunity in one place and go on to win the Heisman somewhere else. That's awesome. That's also pretty rare. So you sort of like, it's just like free agency in the NFL. There's a reason some guys are free agents, you know, if they weren't re-signed by their, their school. So you try to find the right scenario. But yeah, for USC... They had, you know, a bad recruiting class. They had a not great recruiting class, and they've s- tried to supplement some of those, you know, where the holes are with with transfers. Um, they've had some guys transfer out, but for the most part, I think we're Oregon. It's mostly, yeah, you've had some really great recruiting classes. Not everyone's going to play, and guys are going to transfer out of the program. All right, and then the second part is second for each of the Pac-12 teams. Which transfer do you think is the biggest loss and the addition that looks to have the most impact this fall? I'll give you some help. Oregon and Stanford have so far added no players to the portal, so you can skip those. Cal has only added one, so that one is easy. Likewise, Stanford has only lost one scholarship player, so that one should be easy as well. Maybe you can also have the people covering the other teams to get their take on their answers for a future episode, Peter in Vancouver. I think that's probably the better thing we should do, Dave. We could email everyone and be like, yeah. hey, yeah. I think that would be much more accurate of what's going on there. Than us just kind of speculating, especially on the losses, because – some of these guys might be because they're transferring out. There might be guys who didn't play, but were projected to be very good down the road that we might not fully know about. So it'd be interesting to hear that sort of thing. It happens with like quarterbacks and stuff too, where, you know, you're losing a guy that you thought could be the, the heir apparent and he's out of the program. Like Utah had that one, I forget his name, the, the four-star quarterback they had, uh, they signed and he transferred out. Tuttle. Like, yeah, it was Tuttle. Yeah. 
Uh, Jack Tuttle, is that right? Okay. Uh, yeah, I, that's a good one. Um, maybe David can email the crew and, and ask everyone since I always do that stuff. Tra your, your boss just emailed about, <laughs> yeah, silence. Your boss just emailed everybody about uh, some basketball thing. So just piggyback on that one. Okay, it probably won't happen. Okay, sorry, I'll sorry, to my it, mic Peter. wasn't working. I, I didn't hear any of that. Yeah, your mic wasn't working, so you didn't hear. <laughs> All right, Peter, I'll try to do it because we know Dave will not. Um, awesome. Like, good questions for everybody. We had a, you know, not as many emails a tight, this week, but a, a lot of voicemails. A tight, um, fit show. It still went an hour and twenty-five minutes. It's really so. tight. Hour twenty or whatever. Yeah, a tight hour twenty. Tight hour twenty. It was good. We got a little hoops. Seven seven minute vaccine digression. Uh, yeah, and lots of spring ball talk, which David loves. Yeah, it was great. I enjoyed every second of it. We you laughed, we little, cried. You got a little nap in there. Nice. Yeah, um, it was great. Sweet. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap things up then. Um, yeah. Thanks everyone to listening. That's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. We appreciate you being part of the podcast of Champions Family. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.